This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You remember the federal government came out with their latest version of Canada's climate plan. And I say latest version because that's really what it is. There have been many other plans, nine of them, in fact. Um, This one dramatically moves up some of the timelines. It's a little more specific in terms of where we want to go, where the government is setting as goals by 2030, uh, a 42% reduction uh, in the oil and gas industry. So uh, some pretty... Tight timelines. You've heard our premier's response um, saying it's a, it's a joke. Um, our opposition leader says it's a fantasy. Uh, so the politics are the politics around this. There's no question. And that's what we're going to talk about here. What are the opportunities? What are the disadvantages politically when we talk about this new government plan? Now, to be fair, Canada has had these plans before. We failed to meet any of the goals laid out in those plans before. So is this one different? Let's start there. We're going to chat with Dr. Catherine Harrison, who is a professor of political science at the University of British Columbia. Doctor, uh, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us today. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. So like I say, this is the latest version of the plan. We've seen plans before, and there's been a lot of criticism to the government of of not actually reaching the goals they've laid out. Um, Do you think this one's different? It's it's definitely um, more intense. Like it's It's a shorter timeline. It's absolutely a shorter timeline. Um, the plan is, it's very detailed. They've provided more backup in terms of modeling of why they believe it can meet the, the minimum of uh, Canada's Paris Agreement targets of 40 to 45%. You know, I have some skepticism there, but there's a lot of good stuff in this plan. And the big issue is to get moving because most of the key measures are regulatory and we have never been fast at that in the past. Yeah, Catherine, you make a great point because often we talk about these goals, even 2050, it, it, it's something that we're going to do later. But when you move the timeline up to 2030 and some of those other timelines move up a little bit closer, you're right, it sort of it increases the urgency, doesn't it? Absolutely. And yesterday, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its third working group report, which really underscored the urgency that the window is rapidly closing to limit warming to 1.5 or 2C. We're on path to over 3C, and that means things have to start changing really fast, including in Canada. Yeah, and when we take a look at in Canada, of course, there's always a price tag with these kinds of plans and these kinds of announcements, and there's no that's not any different in what we heard last week. Um, it comes with a price tag, right? Absolutely. And um, what we tend not to talk about is the price tag of inaction. And there I would point to the first and second IPCC working group reports, which you know, have been described as an atlas of human suffering. If we don't fix climate change, we are all in very big trouble. We know we're on track to be in big trouble. So let's make the smart investments now to transition our economies. When we take a look at how this is going to be dealt with uh, across the political spectrum, as I said, uh, and and not unsurprisingly, I don't think, um, our Premier and the Environment Minister here in Alberta came out swinging, calling it a a joke and nuts and unattainable. The opposition leader joined them in saying it's a fantasy. So you're going to see political parties and political movements sort of take their positions regarding this plan based on their politics, right? Right. 
Absolutely. And we've seen that for over 30 years now since Canada first started setting bold um, climate targets. Um, We've seen in recent years that the Conservative Party has politicized carbon pricing, has honestly misled voters in many respects on the, the fuel surcharge in particular. We've seen provincial governments, and especially Alberta and Saskatchewan, defending their um, their carbon-intensive industries, their existing economies since 1990. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think the Premier's statements are surprising. Yeah. What has changed is the federal government's in the driver's seat now since the Supreme Court decision last year that upheld the carbon pricing rules. Um, the, uh, the, the courts have also upheld regulation of sectors under the... Um, the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, and the federal government has indicated considerable resolve going forward. So, Doctor, when we take a look at that, and and, and, and as you say, the, the, the politicians will fall in where they fall in politically. Um, does that have the focus in the wrong place then? I, I, I guess the, the debate isn't really at that point about what we need to do as a country in terms of climate change. It's more about what benefits us politically, depending on who we are and what party we belong to. Definitely. Um, Some research I've done with colleagues um, looking at perceptions of carbon pricing found that uh, conservative voters have um, are much less accurate in their understanding of how much they're paying in carbon prices and how much money they're getting back. So they've been getting messages from the parties that they trust that have um, and are misunderstanding the policies. I think where we need to go now in just eight years is to move forward in implementation of several key measures. A report that came out today indicated that there's five five particular actions that account for you know, between 60% and two-thirds of the emissions reductions in this plan. There is no room for slippage there. When we take a look at, you know, a lot of the things that happen and a lot of the discussions that take place in the, and the new goals and targets, industry, of course, is the one that's most heavily affected by this, and it falls on them to implement a lot of this policy. This must be maddening for them to have so much politics flying around this discussion when they're the ones that actually have to make it work. And that's, that's where I tend to look, because industry, as I say, it, it, it's their industry, it's their business, it's their money. They're the ones that actually have to implement this. Um, how do they fit into this whole equation? Well, you know, industry says that they want certainty, and they want price certainty so they can decide how to move forward. But historically, industry has also lobbied to gut proposed regulations time and again. And that's where we've seen all of those previous plans fall short, is the plans aren't self-implementing. There are, there are intentions in there. Those intentions have to be turned into law. The key ones take the form of binding mandatory standards for industry. And historically, the affected industries have lobbied to weaken those, weaken the proposals, often death by, you know, a thousand technical cuts, they have delayed them for many years. And then when push comes to shove, they're like, well, you can't expect us to comply next year if it's still not finalized. And that's the thing that worries me most about this plan is that industry publicly says they want certainty. But that regulatory development process tends to take place much more quietly, much less fanfare. It's very technical. And there are a lot of ways that those um, proposed regulations can be weakened the clean fuel standard is a case in point. Um, we are 
in the same place as things were in 2015 with the clean fuel standard, it still hasn't been uh, finalized. And we can't afford to take seven and eight years to develop the measures in this plan because they need to achieve their goals in eight years. So how would you characterize this, just to sum up this this plan that we heard last week? Is this is this the final plan or is it just the latest progression in a series of plans? Um, you know, is this something that will change as the debate rages on and politics go back and forth and maybe governments change? Um, will policy change? Will we ever nail down a final plan? And if so, is this it? I mean, I think we're in a new world since passage of the Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act last year. What that requires is that governments put plans on the table to actually meet Canada's target and keep us on track to net zero in 2050. But it also backs that up with a process for regular reporting on progress, regular reporting on emissions, and accountability to um, to the House of Commons. And so we will, going forward, we should always have a plan in place to meet our targets, but those plans are going to need to change um, as we move forward to adjust as we find out that maybe measures aren't delivering, maybe some other ones are working better better than expected. So this is the first step in what's going to be a 30-year yeah. process um, and one where members of uh, the House of Commons have a really strong role in holding governments to account going forward. Yeah, and and as you say, it's sort of a, a work in progress, and, and it should be. As things change, it needs to change. Um, Dr. Harrison, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. You're very welcome. That is Dr. Catherine Harrison, a professor of political science at the University of British Columbia. Uh,